Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 248 and this episode is with the health and performance coach for Shamrock Rovers women, Ola White. Ola was recommended to myself by David O'Connor, who's previously been on the podcast and she certainly lived up to the recommendation because you're going to take loads away from this episode. We spoke about how she went about creating a program from scratch, a newly formed team and how they sort of built from that blank canvas and built the program to what they've got so far. Bearing in mind that she has only started the role, we recorded this in July and she started the role in December so she's only a few months into the role. We spoke about the holistic support that she's given to her players, talking about things like nutrition, sleep, recovery um, and mindset and also some of the tips that she would give to other coaches around creating culture. So some really important tips that you can take forward to use with your players in terms of creating a culture or progressing a culture at a club. And then we also spoke about the future of the programme everything she's built so far what does she want to add on top of it where does she see it going so i hope you enjoyed this episode with all her we're getting to the time of year now where we're going to be having some more of our networking events so if you are interested in hosting or speaking at an event please reach out and let us know you can get us on socials at football fitfed or you can drop us an email mail at footballfitfed.com we've got an upcoming event on wednesday the 2nd of august 6 till 9 p.m And that is at Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough, a stadium that I've not actually been to before, so I'm really looking forward to to going to the stadium. We've got one confirmed speaker so far. We're going to have at least two, possibly three. Um, The first speaker is Dr. Steve Thompson. Steve is a lead academy S&C coach at Barnsley. He's also a physical performance coach with the Welsh FA and a senior lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University as well. Early bird tickets are available for this event um, so you can go and grab them on footballfitfed.com click the shop tab and then networking events and you'll be able to get your tickets for the event right there and come and join us for an evening of networking just a reminder as well this is something that we often get asked when we put our meetings out all of our presentations from our events they get recorded and they all get uploaded onto our online community so if you go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign up there. It gives you a free month on the community. After that, it becomes a paid subscription, but you get continued access to all the presentations from our events. So if you're not based near Sheffield Sheffield, and you can't make that event, you'll be able to access the presentations. And likewise, with all the content we've already got on there already. I just wanted to ask a favor as well. We've hit the 90 review mark on both Spotify and on Apple Music. So if you are listening and you've not left us a review, please click the five stars. You can click five stars on Spotify and that is it. You don't leave any sort of written review. But over on iTunes, click the five stars and leave us a short message in terms of the guests you've enjoyed the most, maybe some of the topics we've covered, or you can pin out a specific episode that you took the most from. I really would appreciate it. I want to try and get the reviews up over 100 on both platforms. It really would help us grow the show and get it out to more coaches. So if you've not done it already, please head over and leave us a review on Spotify or on iTunes. On to our sponsors now who are absolutely integral for this podcast. They help us run it the way that we run it. So um, the fact that you get an episode every week is down to our sponsors. First of all, the Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF 
15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel, or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. I know as well that a lot of people have reached out to Warren when he did his, his most recent podcast with us, and there's a lot more teams getting Hytro into clubs, which is great to hear. I also said I'd give you a little update. I've been playing around with some of the recovery protocols for, for Hytro, um, especially on the shorts, using the, the three times five minute protocol with a three minute um, gap in between or recovery in between. And it's amazing how it, how it makes you feel in terms of when you go into your next session. I feel that your legs are a lot fresher, you also get this pump on your quads and your hamstrings um, when you're doing this passive recovery, which I don't think like you can you can get it with anything else. So I've, I'm a couple of weeks into doing it, sort of three to four times a week. I'll report back when I, when I feel anything else. But in terms of my personal experiences, I'm finding that it's definitely helping with recovery. I have used it in different aspects of a gym program as well. But the recovery side is definitely something I'm going to focus on. So, yeah, go and check them out. Hydro doing some brilliant work and also been over in the States recently and getting into some of the American sports as well, which is great to see. Also, a massive thank you to Rezzel doing some brilliant work in the world of VR, virtual reality. So go and check them out at Rezzel over on socials. And let's get into episode 248 with the health and performance coach for Shamrock Rovers women's team, Ola White. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 248. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Ola White. Ola, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much for having me on today. No problem at all. I uh, obviously invited you on after a, a top recommendation from David O'Connor, previous guest on the podcast. So big thank you to David for his recommendation. Um, you're currently the health and performance coach at Shamrock Rovers Women. So we're going to dive into that role in a little bit and what that actually involves but we always start in the same place over so just take us through your background to start with yeah of course so um yeah i'm very lucky to be in a great position at the moment in rovers and um, it's a brand new role so how i kind of got there i suppose was true i'm still i'm still a relatively young coach i'd like to think anyway i'm 28 and um, so I'm from um, a town called Nace in County Gildare, which is just up the road from Rovers. And when I left school, I didn't kind of really know what I wanted to do. I just knew I was quite active and I played football. I played Gaelic football. And when I left, I kind of wasn't fully sure that the academic route would have been for me. But I went to what was called PLC College, which is kind of a, an in-between between big college and school, essentially. And I did some incredible learning there. I met some great people um, and I studied leisure management and did a higher national diploma. Um, but what was great about that was I did a lot of practical certs. So I did my instruction, my personal training. I did lifeguarding um, and I just got to meet some great people and some great coaches. And from there, I had the opportunity to then go into DIT, which is now, I think, TUD. Um, and I went on to study again, leisure management. Um, there was some great practical elements to that course as well, which for me, was a huge um was a huge benefit because I can't uh, can't sit still too much in the classroom environments and the best learning environments um for me 
So from there, um, completed my studies, I went on to do an internship in the Osprey, um, which was just a commercial gym, kind of a hotel-based gym. And I got my first real experience of a uh, commercial side of the industry and what it was kind of like day to day, which is taking classes, managing clients, doing kind of basic programming. And then from there, I finished out college. I got into more into kind of one-to-one coaching with athletes and I was continuing to play football just at a local level. Um, but from my time in the commercial elements uh, of the industry, I kind of knew I wanted to do more with, with athletes and with sports as well. So I got in contact with it with a really cool gym called Unit Tree Health and Fitness. We're based in Nace and they were only open about six months at the time. And I just asked to go in and kind of do freelance personal training. So I went in eventually and I met the owners and thankfully they allowed me to come in. And for a little little while we just did um kind of our own thing so I just did some freelance work and then the more and more that we spoke the more I kind of realized that our values were, were very similar and we both kind of wanted the same things and the environment was great for me it was a great learning environment too so eventually from there I just became a coach there um, and that was maybe maybe five years ago now and since then I'm I'm now the one of the managers there and very recently as well I just became a, a director there too so from the from the industry in that sense that's kind of where I'm at with that now in terms of football then I continued playing at a local level and when I got into Unitary I had a great opportunity then to start working one-to-one with athletes in an environment that was created for them essentially so it was a really cool gym that had everything that we needed there and working with some some great athletes Claire Walsh Claudia Keenan, mostly footballers, but some boxers, um, a race car driver, some swimmers, golf players. And from that position, then I decided that I wanted to help them from a physical aspect. But from my experience in football, what wasn't kind of being done or what the players a lot of the time were struggling with was trying to cope with the demands of the environment from a mental point of view as well. So I got really into that um, and I decided that the best way for me to help the athletes and the footballers especially was actually to go and experience the environment myself then. So I just started training and started trialing um, with some women's national league clubs or it's called the Women's Premier Division now in Ireland. And thankfully I got into um, Athlone Town, which is one of the clubs here um, in the country and I played there for a season. So it was actually the COVID year, so it felt like it felt like about three years that I was there and um, I think we did about four pre-seasons in that year um but yeah it was actually it was a brilliant experience for me it was a brilliant experience to get out of my comfort zone um and I most definitely wasn't the best player but I was probably up there with one of the hardest workers and um, I got some starts I got some minutes um and I really got to learn how to how to deal with the environment like and, and the tough times and the great times when you're starting when you're drops when you're winning when you're losing um and that experience of that year has really helped me as a coach and has really really helped me put myself into the shoes of the athletes that I work with um so from that then very much knew that I didn't want to be a footballer <laughs> after that year and really just wanted to continue on the coaching realm I felt like that that was where I could make the most difference that's where I could help the most people. Um, and yeah, so I just continued doing that. I worked primarily one-to-one with, with some players in small groups as well. And then I continued playing just at kind of a lower level and decided that to hang up my boots and to try and um, try and take what I have been doing in a one-to-one environment and try to put that into a team culture and a team environment and how I was going to do that and was the challenge really so last season I worked with a a team called DLR Waves so that was a great first introduction into trying to to build something and it was an underage team as well it was under 17 so it was trying to to really build a culture within that group and then from there it was a a great learning year met some great coaches worked with some great players and then from last year took some great learnings into into this year as well which is where I'm at with Shamrock Rovers so um, yeah, with, with Rovers now, we started, I think everything kind of tried to start in December of last year. It's unique in a sense that we're brand new. So Shamrock Rovers, actually, this is the first year that they're having a, a women's team that are semi-professional. And the club did have a senior women's team a good few years ago, but it was under the amateur ranks. So we're really trying to establish 
um, a winning culture and, and something that hasn't really been established in the country as of yet. The league itself has grown leaps and bounds every single year. And there's some incredible volunteers, there's some incredible um, players in the league, incredible coaches. And we really feel that as a club, we can just add a little bit more to that now. We can really try and help the growth of, of the league and of our club in total. So my role essentially is great. It's unique in a sense that it's health and performance. Um, and health is there first because we really look at these players as people. And for me, essentially, I try to help these players just develop as humans and I really believe that once we do that the performance takes care of itself then so the model essentially is is built on looking after them trying to educate them trying to make them as self-sufficient as possible and trying to get the togetherness of the group so that's kind of where I'm at now. Brilliant so going into that role when you meet the players for the first time you literally got a blank slate to design a program from, and I'm sure you had a million and one ideas of the things that you wanted to try and implement. But to scale that right back, what were the very first steps that you took with the players, whether that was on a communi communication level or any sort of organisation in terms of their training? What were the initial steps that you took? Yeah, well, when designing the program, the initial steps was just meeting the manager and seeing if it was going to work, basically, because um, I would have had my model um, and I wanted to kind of see what if it would match with theirs, um, really. So I met with the director of football, which is Jason Carey, and then I met with the manager, Collie O'Neill, um, and the staff that then came in. And from the first kind of meeting, essentially, we knew we were on the right page or on the same page even, and we were on the right track. So with Collie he has a model which is care coach and model so it's care about it it's caring about these players as people it's coaching them to the best of our ability and then it's modeling the behaviors that we're asking of them so for me that's kind of exactly what I was trying to do essentially um, and from that position on it was just so many sit downs on the tiniest things to the biggest things obviously we wanted to to make sure that they were physically they're going to meet the physical demands of the game so a huge amount of that was was looking at that aspect of it but I think collectively we knew we wanted this program and we do want this program to be much more than just x's and o's and periodization like we want we want to develop something here that hasn't been done before and um, it's the first time we've the, the country has signed uh, women players on semi-professional contracts and are actually looking after them in the best way that we can at the moment um, so the first stages was definitely sitting down with the staff, manager especially, and just making sure that we were all on the same page with what we wanted to do. Second thing then was asking the players then. So there's no point in the staff laying down all the rules if the players aren't really up for it or agreeing with it as well. So we sat with the group and probably some of the senior players to start with. And again, it's brand new. So it was weird in the sense that we had players coming from probably six different established cultures from six different teams within the league. So it was a challenge to try and get everyone on the same page. And I think at the beginning, we did do a lot on that um, and do refer back to it weekly. And we do really try to build um, what we're trying to build the Shamrock Rovers. And it has taken a bit of time and it's going to continue to take a little bit of time. Um, but there were, those are definitely the initial stages, sitting down, communicating with the staff and then asking the players to give their opinion in. And then what we created in our philosophy and our principles and we've stuck with them since the beginning we do definitely link back into them but I think the biggest thing in making sure that these things are followed is consistency so mm -hmm. it's like and um, everyone calls each other out basically so we have our principles and if someone's not adhering to them we call them out and whether that's a staff member or a player and um, we've we have a fine system as well I don't know how well that's going now but uh I think girls are a little bit lenient with each other, but um, we do have a fine system that we created at the start of the year for staff and for players. Um, and I think for the for the girls as well, it was probably the first time they had to do that. Um, there was definitely some hiccups at the start for getting gear and the usual stuff. But um, yeah, so that's kind of was our first stages. Brilliant. I've actually just read a really good book on what you're saying there about creating a culture, about being able to call people out in a kind of a non-threatening way at the same time where people don't get the backs up and it's called Radical Candor. So if you've not read it or if people haven't read it, go and read it because it is it is just about that. It's, it's about creating culture around that where you can be honest and open. So, no, that's really good, really, really cool. In terms of that feedback that you got from players then, what was the the main things that they sort of pointed out from you, like from you, that they wanted from you? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think that we we have a lot of personalities in the team, which is excellent. And I think this is the first time that professional football for women has really been introduced in the country. So what our idea of professionalism was, was over here. What their idea of professionalism was over there. Maybe the younger players was down there. The club might have been over there. So that's kind of really been the challenge. And I think it would have just been maybe tiny things like um, maybe the timings of our trainings. And a lot of the time they're very good because they ask you questions and they keep you on your toes. Like, so say if we're doing um, gym, then straight into pitch afterwards, they'd be like, well, why are we doing a heavy gym session if we're going out to pitch? And, and I have to answer them. So they're great at keeping you on your toes. And everything that we do, we've really tried to communicate true to them. Um, and they're they're very very good like so some of the things they would have would have asked was just tiny things at the beginning because even the likes of gear where we were training what times we were training how we were communicating the fine system um but I think there wasn't too many differences of opinion really like I think we all kind of knew that what we were trying to establish was something that was new it was something that hadn't been done before and we were all trying to kind of believe in this higher purpose of just upping the, the standards of professionalism in the league. The league has been incredible. It's really grown from volunteers and it's grown immensely from the volunteers that have been within the league over the last couple of years. And, and we're just one part of that journey and we all really believe in, in that. So in terms of kind of backlash or disputes, there wasn't a huge amount of it, which was unusual essentially for, for a brand new culture, but the senior players have been great. The younger players are brilliant at following in um, and we just are very lucky with a really, really good group. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept, isn't it? Because when you've got younger players coming through, especially we're recording this like days away from the World Cup kicking off, um, you've got young players that are watching the women's game now on this level where you've got tens of thousands of fans and obviously the, the amount of preparation that's going into the game now. That's probably the norm for them, isn't it? So that's what they're now comparing to. And then you've got your older players who know a completely different set up from before so it's a really interesting concept and really interesting I, I guess to hear the different perspectives from um, different experience levels of players as well yeah absolutely and it's so interesting because we have we have two we have a good few senior players but two of the um two that have been around the block shall we say are Anya O'Gorman and Stephanie Zambra and formerly Stephanie Roach so those two have literally gone through one they had nothing essentially and they were trying to work and have a career in football um, and they went on strike as the Irish, Irish with the Irish girls a couple of years ago and have really, really made an impact on the progression of, of the, the league and, and of the players and of our, our, our country as well. Um, and then we have younger players now who, when we play our home games, um, we've broken records of attendance um, in the league. And there's girls that are asking, there's young kids that are asking for their jerseys and sign my boots and, and do this. And it's so different to having three people at a game 10 years ago so um yeah it's very different but I think the senior the senior players definitely keep the younger players in, in with their feet on the ground anyway and they there's great respect there among the group and it's a great responsibility for them as well because they they have these young kids that are looking up to them um, and their actions matter and it has an impact so it's very positive yeah definitely in terms of, you've, you've obviously spoke about the health side of your role, like the holistic side, that support that you're giving to your players. And what was the approach? Because I know a lot of people looking from the outside of football and pro professional sport as a whole, and they think that every athlete across the world has got it absolutely nailed in terms of the nutrition, in terms of the sleep. Anyone that's worked in any sort of sport probably knows very, very different. So what would you say, obviously, about individualizing this and picking out individuals was the general approach that players were taking to that side before you started so sleep nutrition general recovery what was it like for them beforehand when so I would have known a good few of the players before we came in but I wouldn't have worked with them on a one-to-one -one level and going back to my original um, dilemma was how to get the work that I was doing with athletes on a one-to-one -one level how was I going to form that into the culture of the, and the environments and trying instead of having a chat with someone on a one-to-one -one level I now had to do it in a group of 20 odd players and how we were going to do that was going to be quite tough like so one thing that we did that was really positive at the start of the year um 
was we just layered everything so in week one we were like okay what's most important this week and it was this 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 so we just did that and then in the second week we layered added another layer and then in the third week we added another layer and one of those layers was talking to them and educating them on other aspects of performance so there was one of the weeks early in pre-season when we went into the classroom in our training facility and I just spoke to them for about an hour on all other aspects of performance so some of that would have been sleep some of that would have been nutrition and other aspects of recovery and a lot of it was mindset work as well Um, and their knowledge for some of them would have been excellent for some of them would have been terrible so um, in a group setting it's brilliant because it was quite an open discussion and in terms of sleep it was trying to and I suppose one challenge as well is that although we're semi-professional these girls are still in college they still have other jobs and they aren't fully committed to football and can go to bed at nine o'clock every night. And so it's, and some like Anya has a child as well. And um, there's other things going on in, in their lives too. So it's trying to do the best with what they have whenever, wherever they can. Like, so essentially for us, a huge part of that was education and just trying to give them the tools that they needed to do in order to be as self-sufficient as possible. So with sleep, it was just trying to give them advice on how to have the best sleep routine and educating them on serotonin and melatonin and even for girls that are traveling as well we had three players that traveled over to the usa and um, to play a double header over there and um, a couple of months ago in preparation for the world cup and the three of them are traveling back on the thursday and on the saturday we had an away game in galway so we had to essentially control and manage and um, their exposure to light and their exposure to caffeine and try and get them back on Irish time in a very short period of time so a lot of that education work would have come from the original chat and then as we go on throughout the season if there's girls that are traveling or girls that are away we just look at it from an individual perspective but yeah a huge part of it is education communication and just allowing them the space to to talk to me on a personal level as well. I love that layered approach because that's essentially habit stacking, isn't it? For anyone that's read yeah. James Clear sort of stuff, that's stacking habits on top of each other, which is really, really powerful. Is there anything else you give? Because I think that that as, a, a, as an issue or a challenge will be the challenge of a lot of coaches, especially working in a team sport, that how do I take my individual approach and put it across a squad of 20, 30 players? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you've, that you've used? Because I absolutely love that that you give as a bit of a tip to coaches or a bit of advice? Um, I think one thing for me, and it, I don't know if it's a tip, essentially, because I've just been very lucky in a sense that the manager is incredible. Collie O'Neill is just amazing. And he's he's a he's a data guy, like, and he, he loves data. He works in that externally as well. And he really likes um, what we're trying to do with that approach as well. So he gives me great freedom. And um, because I communicate back um, to just do whatever I want, basically, um, once it's controlled. So um, we're in the in the process this year, of just data collecting. And that's it, like we're in our first year. We started in January. We did testing in January. We've retested um, throughout the break now. We're on a two week break. We've gotten them into the gym and done some weekly testing as well, where there's vertical jumps or sit and reach just to, just to make sure that we're maintaining as well. But we're also collecting data for maybe a holistic approach as well. So before every training session, the girls will fill in a form and that will be, how's your energy today? Did you sleep well? Is there anything going on? Is there anything we can help you with? Um, and we track their menstrual cycle then as well. So that's something that's been very helpful to me. And I think from a female's coach's perspective, I'm, I'm actually quite a, in a unique position that there isn't a huge amount of female performance coaches or strength and conditioning coaches that are within this industry. And I think it's been a great help to the, to the girls that are there that I understand uh, the menstrual cycle. And it's been great for the guys, the, the manager and the assistant manager as well to, to just see from that perspective to what's going on with them as well so I think the the habit stacking that you call it is something that's a great tip um but then just trying to communicate as much as you can and um, microdosing is something as well that has been great for us too um in terms of physical preparation so we only have x amount of time with them every week so we try to microdose as much as we can and that was a great tip given to me from from Owen Donnelly that's a, the men's SNC coach in Rovers as well to just microdose as much as you can so a huge amount of that would have been on prehabs. Like we have, okay, we have five minutes, everyone do Nordics and Copenhagen's and get this done. And we try to micro those things just as quick as we can throughout the, the week of contact time that we have. 
Yeah, brilliant. Just, just on the uh, menstrual cycle, menstrual health, we did the episode not that long ago, probably is a few weeks ago now, with... Um, I can't really mention the Australians, can I? Because you're clashing in this first game. It's like bringing up the rivals. But Georgia Brown and Jack Sharkey came on. And we, and that's obviously what we spoke about is the mental cycle, mental health, and the link to performance. When you spoke to, to the girls about that, and you spoke about the, the impact on performance and how to, how to go about that and how to track, were they aware of the impact that it could have? Or was it something new to them? Like, what was the level of understanding around that? Yeah, I think for some players, some are very aware and we're very aware of the benefit to monitoring it um, and to managing it. But then again, probably some of the younger players didn't realise the impact it was going to have as well. I think one thing that um, stood out to me is kind of the uneducation around um, contraceptive pills as well and how they can kind of mask certain symptoms too. So uh, previously I would have seen a lot of younger girls bordering on female triad syndrome and um, from maybe being on the pill and not having regular periods as well where they are in a position where they're under fueling and over exerting energy so their periods have essentially disappeared but they're unaware of that and um, because they're on a contraceptive pill so that can have huge impacts on hormonal health going forward it can have huge impacts on their energy huge impacts on injuries as well so that was one thing that I became quite aware of when I was um when I was working one-to-one with coaches and I continue to see it now as well. And it's something that one of our physios is great, Aoife, and we have a doctor on board too, Emma, who have been brilliant on the education side there. So I think for us, it's just been about try to educate the players, make sure they're all tracking. I'm following it as well. So this is irregularities. I kind of see it. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's something that's, it's something that's seen as quite a negative um, within women's sports, but it's such a great data collector. Um, in terms of the energy that the the, the players have. Um, and if there's anything kind of off, it can really give you a huge amount of data on a player. So it's been quite helpful for us. And we've just really looked at educating and tracking for them is, is a huge part of that. I suppose when we're talking about individualising as well, there's probably nothing bigger that is needed to be tracked than that in, in the women's game either, is there? Because that is literally an individual um, data point that is going to be probably different and affect people differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think even from a day to day level, previously, when I was younger, and I had uh, coaches that were screaming at me when I was probably not playing well, or um, mm. my, I might have been in agony with, with stomach cramps, or I might have had really low energy on the day, but you didn't really want to say it to, to your male coach, you maybe mightn't have been as open to it. Whereas now, Collie and Kieran, who are our manager and assistant manager, are excellent. They, they fully understand now, and they have great acceptance for it and great education around it. And, there's no like say in a training session it might just be a quick text that I've gone the forms say this 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 they're experiencing this today it's not giving them a get out of jail free card but it's just so they're aware if they're a little bit off the pace um or they're a little bit struggling with their stomach or the guys are just aware of it so um I think that's been great from a day-to-day point of view and the girls feel much more comfortable speaking about it now as well I think that's a really important point obviously it definitely crosses over to to menstrual health and performance in the women's game, but even in the men's game as well, when we're talking about um, injuries or just um, the holistic side as a whole, that honesty was probably a few years ago, it was probably flagged up as, oh, they might be struggling with a little injury. They'll just hide it because it's seen as a negative to be have training adapted or whatever it's going to be. Whereas now there seems like there's more environments being created like you, like you guys are doing over there where you're encouraging that honesty and it's not being seen as a negative from the players. Is that fair to say? 100%, yeah. And I think that's been a team approach as well. And Kali as well is excellent. So I've seen managers that are, maybe you're kind of scared to say if you have a little bit of a niggle, but Kali's absolutely excellent. He really encourages the girls to be very, very blunt and very honest. And he puts their health first and the performance second. So I think the girls feel that. I think collectively, as a group we feel that and we see um, and I think once you know that your staff have your back it's much easier to communicate openly and freely then so yeah it's been great and it's really helped our team as well Brilliant and just another aspect to that the nutrition side which we, we had the last episode with Amy O'Keefe from Man United we can do whole episodes on nutrition I'm sure but yeah. it'll just be interesting from your perspective obviously you've got a part-time squad of players, a semi-professional squad of players that are working and, like you said, 
children and all the other things that come into play with it. How do you go about that with the players? There's obviously the education side that you've touched on, but on a day-to-day basis, a week-to-week basis, what does that look like in terms of that support for those players? Yeah, so again, from an education point of view there, we spoke about that in pre-season and it's something that we continue to chat about with the players on a one-to-one basis, probably more so than anything else. Um, at the start of the season, we did some in-body scans and that gave um, every player a goal, basically, of hitting their calories every day. So what I have seen a lot of the time is, especially with female athletes for some reason, is that we they tend to underfuel a lot of the time um and it could just be from society it could just be from not wanting to be maybe a bit bigger a bit stronger building muscle mass but especially with the younger players there's been a huge issue around um actually fueling correctly for the game so um that's one of the questions on the forums that the girls have to fill in every day have you fueled correctly for training have you hit your calories um have you fueled correctly with proper foods and it's just checking in with them and and they all think i'm mad because we like we'd go for an away game and I was taking orange juice off their table the other day and they were like she's mad <laughs> but it's it's something that's, it's so important and the timing of certain things on on game days is is, is important as well and for 90% of the time their nutrition should be health-based but on game days and when we actually want them to perform they can have as much sugar as they want and I'd, mm-hmm. I'd feed them jellies as they're running up and down the pitch if I could but timing is more important there and trying to manipulate their sugars and everything else so I think it's just been a learning experience for them all I think it's something that in general the they've thinking or they have thought that they've had to eat less in order to be faster. And there's been some really weird myths that I that I wasn't aware of until maybe this season or last season. And it's really been about knocking them down and trying to empower the, the players that you need to feel your body correctly. And in order to do that, the first way to do that is just hit your calories. And then again, layer it. So once you've hit it, hit your calories, then what are the, the macronutrients? Are you hitting your macronutrients? And then from there, okay, are you looking at performing and how we look at performance? And even tiny little tips like... um beetroot and dark chocolate and hydration and electrolytes and there's tiny 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 details but it is the tiny details that we're trying to layer into the program that we're creating this year so players are great we can also control their food on the day as well of the game obviously too so we control that and make sure that their timing is right we have some snacks in the dressing room beforehand maybe some gels for half time and stuff and then we feed them after the games too so it's something that we control as best as we can and what they do in their own time is what they do in their own time but we can just control the the environment we create the education that we give and we trust that they're doing the best that they can i hope you're enjoying the episode so far with all i'm sure you're taking plenty away from the part one of the episode i just wanted to give you a quick heads up on a couple of recent uploads that we're putting onto our online community so we've now uploaded a presentation by academy sports scientist at reading will Haler. he's done a presentation for us on developing the reading player so you can go and check that out right now on the community in the network meeting presentations tab we are also going to be uploading a presentation by Paddy roche who's at arsenal with the arsenal ladies team he has done a presentation for us on developing and implementing power and strength training programs for the off-season to in-season phases in a f- in elite football. So that will be available very soon on the community. You also, once you become a full member of the community, you do get access to our WhatsApp group where there's some brilliant conversations going on recently about all sorts of different topics. If you've got any sort of performance questions that are coming up in your role, it's a great place to put that out to a number of different coaches all in one place and get a number of different experiences and answers from coaches right across the world. So if you're interested, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, get yourself signed up there for a free trial. After your free trial, it becomes a paid membership and you do get access to our WhatsApp group from there as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and get yourself signed up. Here's part two with All The White. Yeah, I love that split as well, splitting into the health for the majority of the time and then around game day performance can be a little bit different, but coming with that education as well. I love that approach. Um, no, that's really cool. I wanted to discuss as well the future of the programme because you've been, when when did your role start? Did you say December? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, so the staff would have been in December and then we got the players in just in January. Okay, so we're now recording this in July. So we're not too far into the programme. Seven yeah. months, well, six months really. 
um, into the program. But I wanted to talk about the future because I'm sure you probably see it in different levels where you want to take it, you want to add things all the time, um, constantly make things better. What do you feel like is the next stage? So you've set all this in place, which sounds great. Sounds like there's a really good culture being developed. What's like the next step for you and from the coaches, I suppose, as well? Yeah, I think we've been very, very lucky so far. And we've had a lot of learning in the last six months, although it's, it's felt like about six years because it's gone so, <laughs> gone so quick and so slow at the same time. And we've really, it's mad when you start because you're really just creating the foundations instead of just walking into a pre-existing uh, culture or establishment. But I think in short, it's really about, when you look at culture, the first rule of war is create is controlling your environment. So for us, it's about getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus. So yeah. who you have um, who are really believing in the higher purpose of what we're trying to create, they're the people who need to be there. And the people who maybe aren't and, and are maybe kind of have one foot out the door, they just need to be removed. So, um, and that could be from staff, could be from players, it could be from anyone that's just uh, directly or indirectly involved. And um, ultimately, we've spoken about the culture and the environment is the number one and there's no staff member or no player um, that will kind of outweigh that essentially. So really the next stage is just protecting what we have built um, and really trying to uphold everyone's standards that we have created. I think we have a great environment where the players don't feel like it's a dictatorship at all. I think it's very free flowing. The senior players communicate quite a lot. The younger players speak to the to the senior players, so everything does come true. And um, I'm in a in a unique position as well, where I probably spend the most time with the players on a one to one basis. So a lot of it comes through me as well. The physio as well can get a lot of feedback too. So the next stage for us is really just believing in what we're doing, trusting the process, and getting the right people in the right positions in order to, to elevate us to the next level. It's a really good point that it's something we spoke about ages ago on the podcast that a lot of the time, anyone that's in a role like a performance coach, SNC coach, sports scientist, not only do you spend a lot of time with the players, you also normally, you'll probably spend the first time with the players throughout the day as well, wouldn't you, in terms of warm-ups or generally just greeting them. So if, yeah. if the culture doesn't run through that member of staff, that's the initial impact that they're having on the players which is yeah. a really important thing, isn't it? Because you've got to start off on the right foot. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And it's a, it's a great role because you can have such an impact and um, it's it's an unusual one because you are a staff member, but you are also kind of there in the middle of them all the time. So um, they do feed a lot of information through me as well. And maybe because I'm a female too, they might feel a bit more comfortable. I'm probably closer to age, to age in some of them as well. Um, but the two guys are great, all staff members. Are, are very very approachable and the environment that we have created I think the togetherness and the trust is a huge part of that and um, everyone that's kind of on the bus is is there for a reason and we're really looking at the the higher purpose of what we're trying to achieve and the day-to-day -day culture that you mentioned there is so important and how we greet the players um, how they greet each other is something that's definitely been there and whether it's a handshake or a hello or eye contact it's something that has just starts the day and it finishes the day and it's something that's so so small but when you look at those tiny details it's really those details that matter when you're trying to build something. I think that's what you notice as well because we've been fortunate enough to go into a number of different clubs and you see it at a lot of places, like those little things that you're talking about there, like handshakes, eye contact, all that sort of stuff. You, you feel it and you see it. Whereas mm -hmm. some other places you go into is, is the opposite. And I think yeah. that's really important, isn't it? For not just the players and staff in terms of their relationship, but external people coming in, staff to staff. I think that's all, all really important in terms of adding to that culture. Massively, yeah. And I think... It does offer, like we're so, can, we control the controllables and that's one part of our philosophy and we really look at just looking at ourselves and of course we look at opposition when we're from a tactical point of view, but we really are just looking at focusing on what we want to do and the mark that we want to have within the league and within the country. So when we focus on that, there does become um, a different feel for the, the, the culture and the environment that you are trying to create. And I think the, the team is very much together. And I feel when we go to say away games, teams feel that and I think when teams do come to Tallah Stadium and they play us at home they do feel that there is that I don't know whether you'd call it an intimidation factor or something that it kind of gives a different vibe off where oh god this team are together and they're here to perform as, as one so yeah I think tiny actions create really big influences sometimes and I think that that is happening now thankfully 
Yeah, you see that when you start to look at different organisations as well, don't you? Outside of football, even outside of sport, that those those little things that people feel like they're little things are not when you add them all together. So no, no, it's really important. Oh, that's brilliant. Some really good insight there. Um, I want to move on to some of the quick five questions that we finish the podcast with each time. And the first one being, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Well, yeah, so I'm, I'm again, quite young, but I've, I've had some great people around me and continue to have some, some great people around me. I think my family are obviously one. My parents are great. My partner, Jess, and my brother, Evan, my dad as well. My dad's someone who really gets me and has always really encouraged me to fulfill my potential. And, and he supports me daily. Um, but I think from a professional point of view, um, my colleague, one of my best friends, um, Niall Barris, has been someone that's really empowered me to kind of see um, my potential. And he's probably my biggest supporter. Um, and in my opinion, he's the best coach in the world. Um, <laughs> boxing coach. Um, he's one of the owners in Unitree and he coaches Gary Cully and a couple of the guys that are there so um, he's had a massive influence on my learning on my development um, both professionally and personally as well and he's someone that I'd always pick up the phone to whether it's something that's positive or whether it's something that I need his help with um, he's, he's been exceptional and I think 90% of all my knowledge has come from him uh, which I don't think I've ever told him before but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah he's incredible and I, I wouldn't be um, I definitely wouldn't be the the coach that I am without him and I wouldn't be the person I am today without him so um, he's someone that has a big influence on me daily Brilliant what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Well my biggest strength so I think my biggest strength is probably humility and um, I think that I'm I'm someone that's always been in learning environments and that's really allowed me to learn from anyone. So I think it's a great skill when you can kind of put your ego to the side and learn from, from literally anyone who's around you and whether that's a superior, whether that's someone who's an intern, whether that's someone who's a colleague, whether that's a player, whether it's a senior player, whether it's someone that just walks in the door, whether it's your opposition. Um, I think that I've always strived in those environments where um I've really just learned from from chatting to people and not being afraid to ask people questions and I think having humility as a strength is something that can really help you go far and really help you develop um in quite a short space of time and I think in some environments and maybe some cultures within football as well humility is maybe seen as a weakness um mm -hmm. but for me it's it's something that can give you such great strengths and it can really help elevate you to to new levels yeah great point if you were able to speak to a younger girl, I know you'd mentioned that you're not the oldest coach in the world, so very early on <laughs> in your coaching career, but if you went back a few years, especially so when you mentioned before about playing and getting to the end of that point of playing and knowing that you wanted to focus your time more on coaching, what would you be giving as a top tip in terms of career advice? Um, I think for me there's been there's been so many learnings like every day I learn something new and sometimes it's true positive experiences sometimes it's true failures um, and I'm always quite reflective I'd like to think on on things that have gone well and things that have gone not so well but I think maybe from a younger element obviously when you're young you're trying to get into the industry and um, you're so, I'm so passionate about this purpose that I'm doing and I just love helping people that I probably blurred some boundaries sometimes between my professional life and my personal life and kind of leaving my phone down when I was going home and um, I was probably too giving at some some points and um, yes I want to be one of the best coaches in the world but I also want to get married and, and have children and have a successful family life too so that's been such a great learning for me even reading books and um, some of the best coaches in the world have been the best coaches in the world but maybe not so great in their personal lives and have maybe had failed marriages or not great relationships with their kids or have maybe just done things in their personal life that hasn't been so great so it's something that I've always really wanted to to do both and I think that it's achievable to do that to, to be a good person and to be a good wife and to be a good um, hopefully man someday but also be one of the best coaches in the world so for me a great learning there was having the boundary line between when I go home and I'm here with Jess I'm here with Jess um, yeah. and when I'm with my family I'm spending time with them and um, when I'm in work I'm very much there and I'm very much there for the players and they know they can reach out to me and I'll always always reach back to them and help them out but um, yeah that 
definitely be something I'd probably be have more awareness of from a younger age. That'd be some advice I'd give. Just on that point, I feel like because when you set the boundaries early on with that, because I think it's really hard, isn't it? Work-life balance is something people talk about a lot. But when you set the boundaries, I think sometimes people don't mean to cross the boundary. It's just that you've probably not set it. Like for a lot of coaches, like when players are messaging, they might message at a certain time of day, they expect a response because they're messaging you. Whereas if they know, oh, she'll get back to me on like tomorrow or she'll get back to me after this time or whatever the, the boundaries are that you set. I feel like that's the important thing, isn't it? To set that to let players know. And some people, sometimes I don't think people tend, they, they're not going out with the aim to cross that boundary. It's just that they want to, they want that information at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And we we encourage players to be selfish and <laughs> we encourage them to to do yeah. what they can for what they need. And, and for me, that was that's definitely the learning. You've really hit the nail on the head there is, is setting them up like and communicating your your boundary lines. And I I think for me, I'm I'm probably uh, quite a giving person and I want the athletes to have the best of the best. And if they need information, I want to give it to them. So and that's fulfilling for me. Um, but if I'm on my phone half the night when I'm supposed to be at home with my family it's not going to have a good impact on my family life so no. for me it was definitely that I think setting the boundary lines now is something that I do regularly it probably wasn't when I was a little bit younger because I was just trying to give 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 and um, instead of looking at recharging or just spending some some downtime and other very important aspects of my life as well so yeah that's definitely the nail on the head brilliant point and I think that's possibly one of the first times someone's brought that up and, and that question as well so I think it's a really important point as well um, Ola, in terms of CPD, continued development as a coach, where do you focus your time? Yeah, so for me, I'm, I think just just trying to establish how you learn and what kind of learner you are is something that's quite important as well. And for me, when I was in school, I didn't really, like I hated school. I hated the classroom environment and it wasn't something that where I learned quite easily. Um, I kind of just preferred being up and doing and I've always learned um very authentically through chatting to people and I really love getting to know people and getting to know their stories and um I can say silent for 10 minutes while someone speaks is probably a skill that I've developed over time but for me chatting with people getting into learning environments not being afraid to reach out to coaches as well even Dave that you mentioned at the start of the year I just reached out to him a couple of years ago and said here do you want to go for a coffee and and have a chat and learned from him and uh, John, John, John Sullivan as well would be one that I'd reached out to too and um, just not being afraid to ask people to to meet up for a coffee and people are so accommodating and, and will really help you too and um, I read a lot of books and, and a lot of coaching books Phil Jackson, uh, Coach Wooden, there's Bill Walsh has been a lot that I've read previously as well and um, that have really helped in the day-to-day um I think courses are great seminars are great um that are kind of just weekly or or a day course and I recently did a course with Brad Scales who's a um Max Verstappen's performance coach so in in Formula One so I work with a race car driver James Rowe um as a performance coach and he's in the states now with Indy Next and he's competing over there so and in order to help him, I just did that course too. And, and I looked at some other aspects of, of performance as well. And it's funny because even though they're different sports, there's so much I learned from that that's helping Shamrock Rovers too. And one small thing would be um, neck training for uh, minimization of concussions. So mm-hmm. say in Rovers, I think we're probably the first women's team in the country that are doing neck prehab um, in order to minimize the risk of concussions for the, for the players as well. So I think that a lot of the time you can learn in environments that are completely external to your sport and and make them uh, applicable to your sport as well. So again, I can learn and it's a, it's a skill that I'm very grateful for that I can learn from any environment and from anyone that's there. So having that sponge mentality and that the girls always laugh about as well, instead of I'm always like, don't be a rock, be a sponge (laughs) and trying to trying to encourage everyone to, to be more like that to just absorb as much information as they can so for me it's about just talking to people I learn the most from that and um, still seminars webinars um, and I, I prefer that approach to learning rather than personally rather than an academic uh, point of view amazing I'm going to ask a selfish question now just off the back of that what would yeah. be if you got a couple of books up there, recommendations that you've read recently that is, that, that is stand up above the rest? What would you say yeah. the uh, top recommendations of books were? 
I love Coach Wooden, Coach John Wooden. He's excellent. Um, I can't remember the name of his book. I read it quite a while ago, but his was excellent. And I think my philosophy is probably similar to his in terms of um, he put his family first as well. And, and he really wanted to be a good person before a good coach. And he had some incredible wins in basketball. And um, he's passed now, but his book was was really, really good too. Um, read a book recently as well, Monica Aldama, I think her name is, or Aldama. She's... um. She was a cheerleading coach or is a cheerleading coach. Um, the Netflix documentary Cheer, and um, oh, you yeah. might know that. Yeah. Yeah, she was the head coach for for one of the colleges there, Navarro College. So I read her book recently as well. Um, and that's been really interesting. But my books are great. I try I try to not give them out because I take so much so many notes in them. <laughs> um, and a lot of the time, a lot of times like that's brilliant. I'd do that. And then some of the books as well, I'd like, I'd never do that as a coach. So yeah. um they're brilliant reference points. And again, speaking about Niall, we, we talk about books all the time. And um some coaches are the best coaches in the world, but probably not the best people. So we're trying to trying to crack the code on, on that one and, and how to be both. I think that's a great message. Oh, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on. Big thank you to David as well for your recommendation because uh, you definitely stood up to everything that he was talking about when we were <laughs> chatting about getting you on the podcast. So no, I really oh, appreciate you. you giving up your time. Um, if people have got questions or they want more book recommendations, they want to chat about anything, um, where would you direct them? Yeah, so I'd say that the best way is probably just my Instagram um, or my social media account. So it's just Orla Weiss Coaching. Um, another my gym as well that we have in Nace is uh, Unit Tree Health and Fitness. So if you check out there, we have some incredible coaches um, that are working with us there. We have some incredible athletes and, and it's a great community there too. So either of them would be great. I'm on LinkedIn as well, but I'm not as active uh, as I'd like to be. <laughs> I should get into that more, but it's just Orla White on LinkedIn too. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate your time, Ola, and keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much, Ben. It's a privilege to be chatting with you today. Thank you. Big thank you to Ola for coming on the podcast. You can go and check her out. She is on Instagram, Ola White Coaching, and that is spelled O-R-L-A-I-T-H, White Coaching. So go and give her a follow over on Instagram. You can also go and check her gym out as well, which is Unit Free Health and Fitness. So go and give them a shout out as well. Um, please give it a share as well over on your Instagram or your Twitter, whatever social platform you use. Um, or just send it into WhatsApp group, share it with coaches. I really do appreciate everyone sharing the podcast and growing the reach on the amount of coaches we are getting these episodes out to. So a big thank you to anyone that has done that. Um, I would say as well, make sure to go and check out our sponsors, The Good Prep. The meal prep delivery service, absolutely first class company. Um, also, Hytro, doing some big things now over in America, so make sure you go and check them out. And also, Rezzle, dominating the world of VR, so make sure you go and check Rezzle out as well, all on socials. In terms of takeaways on this one, there was absolutely loads for me, so I'll try and narrow it down a little bit. The first of which is treating players as people. The first thing that jumped into my head, anyone that's seen the Deli Alley interview, um, really moving. Obviously, we don't know what is going on with a lot of players a lot of the time or what they've been through. So getting to know them as people, obviously, that's a, an extreme example. But I also think there's so many lessons to take away from that. Um, it's our job to find out more about the players and, and, and learn about them as people before players. I think that's such an important point. Um, consistency with the approach was something that she spoke about as well which I think is important putting in habits that you're working with with players but making things consistent players like consistency obviously they've got to, they've got to progress there's got to be some sort of progression there but consistency is really important having an answer as well so she spoke about players questioning certain aspects of why we're we doing this why we're we doing this in this order you should always have an answer always have a rationale behind you behind you doing whatever you are doing and um, whether your players ask that or not I feel like you should always have an answer to something that you're doing and a rationale I love the layered habits so she spoke about layering habits or habit stacking as, as James Clear refers to it in Atomic Habits basically stacking habits on top of each other and making sure that something becomes regular so if you're putting one habit in place, it's got to become regular. It's got to become something that you can stick to. Once you've done that, then you can add more habits on top of it. But you don't do that until you sort of 
are, are able to stick with the first habit. And then also she mentioned about in the academic world, not struggling, but it wasn't the best way that she learned. And I think that crosses over to a lot of people. That's certainly myself as well. So figuring out how you learn and then taking from that in terms of CPD, is that then conversations that you're going to get the most from? That might be video. How do you actually learn? I know some people like like infographics and data. You need to figure that out first and then you can work out a plan in terms of CPD. So I thought that was a really good point by Ola as well and something for everyone to consider how you learn and then that probably crosses over really nicely into your approach to CPD. So go and give Ola a follow and reach out as well if you've got any sort of feedback from the podcast, any questions, I'm sure she'd be delighted to hear from you and a big thank you for listening to the podcast again and for all your support and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 249.